Bikini Beach Barbecue and Women Behind Bars. You know, if men didn't watch these trashy shows, they would take them off the air. Hey, thank God for men, huh? Hey, 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 hey! I think you should know. I have joined a crusade to tell the world that as a woman, I am as able as any man, and I demand equal rights. All right, who gave you the copy of Cosmo? Never mind who. Listen, honey, let me say... Don't call me honey. I am not your honey. I am not your anything. I'm a, a, a... Don't, don't a, say it. Please a, don't. A feminist. No! Welcome to Splat Attack, a podcast overflowing into the slime-filled past. I'm your smooth move backup dancer, Brett. <laughs> and I'm your motorized recliner operator, Alex. And Brett. Yes, Alex. What are we doing back at the roundhouse? Well, due to the overwhelming popularity of the Roundhouse 30th anniversary reunion that we did way back in season three, we decided to delve a little deeper into the rich legacy of this beloved 90s Nick Jam and do an episode review to satiate our Slimester's appetite for more Roundhouse. I'm excited that we're going to that we're going to cover the show again. It's been a great joy to relive many memories of the show with the cast during our reunion episode. Uh, during our reunion episode, speaking of episodes. Which one are we doing for today's special episode review? Glad you asked. <laughs> this one is a request from one Roundhouse alum who's with us today, Sean Muniz, who is kind enough to send us both genuine copies of a Roundhouse script that I have right here. Uh, but it turns out that this episode, uh, he referred to it as the equality episode, but as it turns out when we did some more research, it's actually called feminism. So either way, we're going to have some fun unpacking what happens here with all of our Roundhouse friends. And don't worry, equality will appear in some for shape or form later on. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, we have quite a few Roundhouse alum here to teach us their cool moves and soulful songs for today's episode. So some from the reunion and some fresh faces as well. So uh, joining us in the studio today, uh, we have Mickey Duran. Hello, Mickey. Hello. We also have Mark David. What up, Mark? What's happening? Good to see everybody. And we we also have David Sidoni. Uh, what up, David? What's going on, gang? And we have Ivan Dodunsky. What's up? <laughs> <laughs> and we also have Juline Renee. Hi. And, of course, we have the Sean himself, who has uh, recommended this episode. How you doing, Sean? Doing well. Thank you much. And sharing the screen together, we have Mr. Alfred Carr Jr. and Seymour Green. What's up, fellas? <laughs> On the clock. Just show your face, Alfred. Get the oh, camera. Boy. Just going way overboard with the nuns, okay? All right. He's from Denver, Colorado, so all that clock nonsense got to go. <laughs> well, we're going to dive. And also, with uh, not only do we have the uh, the cast here, but we also have 
uh, well, let, let me back up. I wanted to have Natalie Nucci also be a part of the episode, and I know she very much wanted to be here, and Jennifer Sihi and John Crane, all three of them wanted to be here because I wanted to get as many cast members that were on this one particular episode. Uh, all three had scheduling conflicts, but uh, when I did reach out to Natalie, she had specifically requested that I invite a fan uh, by name. So joining us in uh, Natalie's stead, we have Trisha Haywood. How you doing, Trisha? I can't believe I'm here. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's surreal and I'm honored. So thank you for having me. Well, thank oh, you for being here. Yeah. All right. So the way this will work uh, for you Slimesters who have been listening for a while, you know how this goes. We'll go through a bit of the episode. And uh, typically before, Brett and I would give our impressions of the episode. But now that we've got the cast, and the, the cast here with us, then we'll just pick their brains and see what they can remember. Uh, they've already told us that they don't remember a thing. But uh, we'll, we'll see if anything comes to memory. I think I remember more behind the scenes than on the scenes. Yeah, and that's perfectly fine. We want to hear all about it. <laughs> no, oh, I yes. don't. Uh, I do along, know. But I already gave you the script, so I don't know what to read. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's going on in here? <laughs> now, I do know. Well, I always make a you know that. Come on now, Sean. You're supposed to make a backup copy. What's wrong with you now? <laughs> <laughs> Now, I do know that uh, before we started this episode, uh, because we, we I, I mentioned those three, but Amy, who was also a part of season three, uh, Mickey had said that she wasn't there for, well, on screen, but she was there in the audience. And you said, what, that was part of her audition or, or what was no, it? No, I, re I just remember her being, they were, I, I recognize, I, I just like, that girl looks like, you know, she's checking us out. And I then she came on the show. So that was just a whole, like, her... I think she was being interviewed to be on the show, uh, so she mm. getting to check out what it was. That's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, before we get into the synopsis, and uh, we got a couple of questions before we get into the synopsis, Brett, give us a bit of the uh, details of this episode. Sure. So for the basic episode info of Roundhouse Feminism, it was from season three, episode one. Uh, the air date was a little bit hard to find, but we did get the year, and it came out in 1993. If any of you happen to know the date, definitely share it with us. Otherwise, <laughs> it will just be known as from that year. Yep. It was directed by Ron Andreessen and written by Buddy Sheffield, John Crane, Ray Lee, Nancy Newfield, Heather Sheffield, J. David Stern, Bernie Anchetta, Glenn Berger, and Sheila R. Lawrence. I think it was pretty early on in 1993. I, I mean, I could just tell by the my baby fat, so. <laughs> is that like carbon dating? She's that, never been like fat a day in yes. her life. <laughs> still chubby cheeks. Well, before we get uh, into the the main synopsis, uh, and David had actually mentioned this uh, a little bit beforehand. Uh, over on Facebook, there is a roundhouse group over on Facebook that uh, Trisha and I have been a part of, and I did ask them that we're gonna be doing this episode tonight and talking about the this one particular episode. Do you all have any questions? And uh, Laura Williams had a few very good questions. So I'm gonna pass the microphone over to Trisha and she's gonna ask some of Laura's questions. I get to represent the fans today and I hope I do everyone justice. So Laura, I'm gonna ask your questions on your behalf. Laura asked, what was it like as a returning cast member to come back to season three? 
what were some changes that were made? And for Sean, what was it like joining the cast in season three? Go, Sean. It was hard for you. I know it was. Um, it, it was, I mean, we've had this conversation a little bit. Uh, it was tough for me to join the cast. I loved it. I had a great time. Um, half the cast were already friends of mine. It was a tough season to join because I was having to come in to take the place of someone who was uh, beloved by the fans, the cast. Uh, he was a good friend. Um, didn't didn't leave the show because of choice, but because of necessity. And it's always hard to come in and you, you never get to come in behind someone like that and feel like uh, you're going to do it justice. Um, I don't think uh, we knew what to do with me in a weird way. Um, but it was a was a great experience again because I had so many friends that I already knew that helped that helped a lot in the welcome process um, mm. I had never met uh, Alfred and Seymour well uh, maybe maybe I had before then um, but we clicked right away a few of us I had already danced with a few of them. Um, it was it was uh, it was an interesting challenge to step in and, and try to fill a role uh, I was very comfortable doing the choreography. Obviously, uh, you're, you're dancing with uh, uh, with Barry Lather, who I had the privilege of working with. That did his 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 music video for his song, um, but to get to dance with the group that I got to dance with, uh, that helped a lot. Especially when I they weren't sure what to do with me as a role as a character. Um, I'm saying um a lot, and that's never a good sign. I will say that uh, uh, it was a unique experience because the show was oh. so kinetic and oh. always flowing. You know, we, we prepped to do a live theater performance just in front of cameras with live audience. And that always keeps you on your toes because you never know what's going to happen. You never know where the improv might take place. You just never know uh, what what unique things might occur when you're taping but we worked really hard I think at, at the rehearsal part and I'll, I'll give a lot of credit to to Rita and 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 buddy uh, just I know I'm gonna forget forget names here but the fact is is that uh, they did a really great job of getting us prepared you know mm -hmm. so you, you do it till you can't do it wrong right and then whatever happens happens uh so that helped a lot it was a good learning experience a good growth experience for me and and the rest of you what was it like coming back for season three since this was the first episode of the season i think it was kind of sad because we lost again another person because that's when lisa left right like she got she was pregnant um so i think i think because like we, we formed like this great unit and then we like oh we're gonna form it again and then it was like it made us feel like oh maybe it's not so family. I mean, that's at least how I felt. But I mean, I still had fun. I mean, I was living my best life. I was a young kid on the show, dancing, learning to sing bad, and <laughs> um, but they gave me the chance. And then you know, acting. And that year, I got to that time. I got to play the girl, and that was actually I was really uh, scared, but it was fun. But... Yeah, it's like we were like the. It's like a sports team, you know. We. Chiefs just won the Super Bowl, pretty much the same crew, but some different guys in and out. And 
some major players left and they still won. And that's, you know, it was like, we just kind of, we had our core and we mixed and matched. Mm-hmm. First this one. I think too, um, <clears throat> from my perspective is we uh, had a system that worked and by the third season it was doing really well. We had the writing down, we had the songs down, we had timing down. We had all that down, but we lost Crystal, who was a very intimate powerhouse for us to uh, have as our vocal. And then we had Lisa, and like Mickey said, um, Lisa got pregnant and left, and then I got pregnant with Zoe and had to back off dancing, and then Dominic got sick. So we were like a family that was actually growing, but our popularity was was really big at that point. Like I I would go to the mall and I would have not so much kids, but you guys, their parents. <laughs> their parents would be like, Oh, where's my kid right now? <laughs> right? You know, my kid's not gonna believe me and and you know that kind of stuff but it was a lot to handle because we our fan base to me was our friends and we were all growing and so we were embracing new people like sean it was taking us a second to adjust Mm -hmm. to how we still stay open to this new family i felt like at least yeah i feel like behind the scenes like when somebody new came in if we were all hanging out and we did this all the time, which was just sit around and joke when Alfred and Seymour and everybody would just like tell all these jokes and just like act out and be funny. And, you know, if you fit into that energy, then the show is going to be fine. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how I feel. Yeah. I, I watched the show today and I have to say, you know, to your credit, Sean, you slid right in and it was kind of perfect. <laughs> Didn't seem like there was any learning curve in my opinion. Oh, thank you. Uh, it was when I watch that episode, it's, it, you know, there's other episodes that I've seen that are not quite so perfect, but that's, it's kind of a perfect, like I don't, they didn't really make fixes after the show. I would go to some of the edits and it was pretty much filmed live to tape and aired as is. And that episode, if you look at it, I mean, there's a couple of shots, you know, I'm a picky director now, so I would have changed a few shots, but there's <laughs> the, the writing and the timing and the comedy and the singing and the dancing it is pretty tight and and you know that show also came with a level of um stop this this kind of kooky style in comedy over the top loud kind of comedy and sean you fit right in like if you look at all the pieces as i watched today you were right you, you ramped right up into it there was no you know like i said i don't know if there was much of a learning curve and i and because we were all already three seasons in and 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 used to that rhythm and the pace um it looked it looked i was i was i was impressed by the episode and and i you should you should feel really great about it because you it was it was fantastic thank you yeah my my uh my wife who is from the dance world she always comments about sean from that uh different episode where we did lame the famous <laughs> she's like that's when Munoz shined she's like that's when I know Sean because he was just like just completely satirically goofing and oh my god you were so funny in that and like not dead center just a little bit on the side like oh that move I would tell you that is one of my moments I you know it's 1993 so here we are what 30 years later yeah and I remember making Ivan bust out laugh yep <laughs> 
And I'll never forget that moment. And you know, when you have a moment like that, you want to recreate it, of course, right? Maybe I could go to one of those special schools on TV, like those kids, they sing and dance in the street. And I thought, oh, there's no way I'm going to be able to do this again. And I think I managed to do it to him at least one more time where I tried to do the same thing. And it was a total accident when I did it, but it felt right. Um, I got to tell you, that was a fun, that, that was one of my proud moments of the entire season. <laughs> and I mean, we've all been in that audition where it just didn't go right. And you try to wing it. You try to fake it, play it off. That's funny. I appreciate you remembering that. Uh, Ivan, that was really thoughtful, and that makes a lot of sense. I was going to say, um, and I know you were always looking at it with that different eye too. But you must have have missed uh, a couple of those days in the in the edits because um, I know they were in there at least for a few hours, uh, sprinkling all, most of Mark David scenes in there, since those were <laughs> most of our pickups. <laughs> What do we say? We're just calling me out to be all <laughs> I don't study my scripts like I should. Is that what we're all talking about? And when I say, though, the funny talk about timing, Ivan, in this episode, the thing, thing we were tight. We had like a, a team, but you had to include the cameraman. And in this episode, the whole that for me was like the timing is so long is when Fry Willy, the whole giant, you know, over and land and Seymour's just standing there while the cameraman goes but Seymour's face is just waiting with the whale and I'm like waiting for the cameraman to push in and now we can, can continue but it's so obvious because the whale was huge I just laughing coming soon a troubled tree kid befriends a captive killer whale and in his courageous effort to free him gets stranded on a desert island with nothing to eat and near death the boy is faced with the most gut-wrenching decision of his life in fry willy go willy go <laughs> matt roush of usa today says fry willy was a whale of a movie i can't believe he ate the blow whole thing well brett why don't you get started and let uh, let the slimesters who are listening in let them know what happened in this episode. Alrighty, well, let's just dive into the plot of Roundhouse Feminism. So we open up once the theme song ushers in our Roundhouse gang into the set. We jump right into a sex ed class type skit where Natalie Nucci's character explains how the female reproductive system works under a suspended plastic sheet with a diagram of a female figure on it. She further adds how a human being is quote unquote sexless to begin with before it's born. David Sidoni's character makes a joke regarding the diagram, commenting that Arnie, Ivan Dodinsky's character, is still immature. Natalie continues explaining how if the sperm carries the Y chromosome to the egg, the child will become a boy. Likewise, if the sperm carries the X chromosome, it will make it a girl. The camera then swoops through the diagram while Mom, who's Sean DeWalt's character, announces an inside look at Fallopian Hall, where Julian Renee's character introduces Malcolm X Chromosome, which is Alpha J Carr's character, to speak to the female audience, who are all wearing X's on their hats. Malcolm X Chromosome gives a rousing speech, proclaiming his female audience has been suppressed. The crowd cheers, and we cut back to the classroom sketch, but not before Sean DeWalt's character states to the camera, Malcolm X Chromosome, a Spike Lee reproduction. 
Back in the classroom, the teacher, who's played by Natalie, asks her class what the main difference is between men and women. Mark, which is David Sedoni's character in this episode, claims men are superior, to which Sam, Mickey Duran's character, challenges his statement with an arm wrestle on Sean Muniz's back. Sam wins, turns out. Mark and the class scatter, transitioning to the next scene of the sketch. Of course. Trisha, I turn it over to you. Well, Laura had another question, and this one was for Mickey. She said, did Mickey enjoy being the star of the story? And then she said, because she was great. Aw. But did you, you enjoy being the girl? I, yeah, yeah, of course, but I was still, like I said before, I was, I was very nervous. I was, I was more comfortable dancing. So, um, like reading that it was, it was challenging for me, but, um, but yeah, no, I had a lot of fun, especially when I got to beat David Sedoni and arm wrestle. <laughs> <laughs> This, this episode is one of those landmark episodes for not just Roundhouse, but for Nickelodeon, because it handles such a very, very difficult topic to discuss, especially for youth. Uh, what was it like to handle such a mature subject for the Nickelodeon audience at that time? I mean, for me, like, because I, I mean, I felt like it was still relating to it. I mean, I was, I think I was 19 at that time. Um, I, I I felt there was a lot of similarities, even though it was like, I know it's towards a younger audience, um, but I felt those things. I related to like uh, wanting the boy to ask me and all that kind of stuff and not feeling, uh, I don't know, I just related to those kind of things. And also like I always wanted to, I always competed with the boys and wanted to be just as good as or felt that I was, but was always getting treated like a girl. I was gonna say, Mickey had backstory on that. She was always like in the in the scene before Roundhouse you know, I remember in Newsies when Kenny brought you in, you know, and uh, for the audition, because she had just that strong, great attitude. But in general, I mean, I was going to make a joke and say, yeah, we were woke before it was cool. But when you said, when you said, what was it, what was it like tackling that adult stuff? And I, I'm like, you kidding? What you saw in the air was like 3% of what we were tackling. The rest of it all got censored. <laughs> We were going to oh. bring all that heat every week, but they only let us go so far. And it's interesting that it was that one and the gang violence one that got through with everything. Yeah, and they are back to back in the season as well. For me, it, it's dealing with dynamics in relationships, right? And in the beginning, it says that this, you know, boy, he's immature. Well, we look at the dad, and the dad is completely immature. He's like in a driving high chair with a diaper on. He never leaves. He's, he's got a barbecue. He's got a television. He's calling his son a wussy and a name. He doesn't even know what his wife's job is. He's, he's not present. And if you're going to say that feminism is in response to anything, it should just be the dynamics of the relationship. The mom sounds like she's working all the time, dealing with the kids. He's watching, you know, bikini girls. And the only thing that he zooms forward for is for beans. So this is the type of, of man that we're discussing we could say that's that's the lowest that you can get. So that's an immature person in the relationship. Whether it's the male or female, these two forces that started a life together 
one is feeding off of it and the other one is supporting it. That's that's how I see it. And then we go into stereotypes to hold that true. And then we do commercials and we make jokes and we get underwear for Christmas with funny things on it. You know what I mean? But we we don't say, hey, someone has to be mature here on the other side. Otherwise, she's just spinning in a circle going, no one's listening to me. I'm going to rant and I'm going to rave and I'll go back to work tomorrow, you know? So that's how I see it. <laughs> yeah, a lot of the mom and dad dynamic here wrestles with them trying to meet in the middle because they're both in their own little worlds perceiving the issue very differently. Dad doesn't seem to be aware of the issue while mom feels like this needs to be handled right away and there's just a lot to deal with within her every family on the show so i i appreciate that throughout all the different sketches throughout this episode there's that common thread of what are mom and dad going to do about this that that conflict that comes between them and it begins to start to create cracks in their family dynamic as well I just want to say finally, you know, rounding that out, the thing that kind of makes me sad is at the end, the dad has to be on medication to say something nice to his daughter that she out. Yeah, right? Like, dad, you know, she goes, dad, I finally got a date. He's like, oh, good, honey. But before all of that medication, he was not able to be nice, you know? It was like the real world. <laughs> yeah, the real world or like Futurama where Bender and Phil J. Fry had to have like an emotional chip implanted into them so that they could respond to uh, Leela and Amy in the show the way that they wanted the communication coming from them so that they can understand each other better. It's, it's funny for comedic sake, but also has a lot of deeper undertones that really makes you think about the issues at hand here. So moving on with the plot of this episode. In the next scene, Jennifer Seahe's character congratulates Sam on her arm wrestling win, putting Mark in his place. Contrary to belief, Sam admits she didn't do it to prove her superiority, but rather because she likes him and wanted a way to hold his hand. Jennifer's character reaffirms her praise for sticking up for us X chromosomes. Sam then complains about why can't guys just act nice for a change? which abruptly transitions to Julene's character portraying a fake ad for 555 Whipped, a phone number where you can connect with nice guys who await on you hand and feet. Sam gets on the cardboard TV with Mark David's character to engage in a conversation. Transition to another TV ad sketch, where Sean Muniz's character introduces Fry Willy, a smash hit box office film involving a giant orca inflatable sailing over a prop ocean wall into an oversized prop frying pan. Critics, Ivan Dodinsky and Mark David, give it punny praise, while Seymour Willis closes the sketch with the line, this is some killer whale. Trisha, do you have some questions for us? So what did you guys enjoy most about doing all the fake TV sketches and ads? Did you have a favorite one? What did you enjoy most about that? You mean your, uh, your um, Lonnie Anderson just stopped to me and that was hilarious. Yeah, Lonnie Anderson. <laughs> Hi, I'm Lonnie Anderson. People all over the country love me because I was recently dumped. When my husband started running around with a young, no-talent nobody, you can imagine how upset I was. That's why I developed Burt Reynolds' rap. I always seemed to come with that, that southern accent when I had those kind of bean or farting or fat dang dog. Somehow I just like went to that guy. And your face and, uh, gets all like this, too. Yeah. You hold. I love when you're inside you. The wife and kids are out. You're finally alone. 
You crave whatever red blooded American male needs. Please. No, <laughs> the Anderson one was good. It's like that he's old for a long, long time, ladies. That, hit, that, 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 was, that hit deep nowadays. That hit deep. Only Bert Reynolds rap keeps your husband fresh. So when he's through being a pot, you can either throw him down and keep him or throw him away. <gasps> Uh-oh. Looks like this one's got freezer burn. <laughs> Bird Reynolds rap because he's only young once, but he's old for a long, long time. I like Sally Jesse Raphael. That <laughs> That wasn't on this episode, was it? Yeah, it went on this one, but it's still a great one. Yeah. I just, as far as like random cutaways, makes me laugh every time. We're all here, Sally, Jesse. We can oh, do yeah. it, right? Rafael. <laughs> Jesse? I, li I, I like the speaker. Mark oh. the speaker. Okay. I loved when Ivan did Lewis. Lewis played the saxophone. Oh, that's classic. But those, those TV sketches, the ones that ended up inside the cardboard thing, I think we all liked them because they're so quick. And they were so impactful yeah. and boom, 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 and you're out. And then you got to transition to whatever's next. But as David would yeah. say, like those, those big monologue things that I had to do that were the big boo-boos. <laughs> you were great. I just got to give him grief. No, those, those were awesome because they were snippets. They were current. They were pop culture. And some of them were... 10 or 15 year references a long time ago about infomercials and it was just kind of cool to like i mean that was the thing of the roundhouse you take something serious and then you throw in not just a tv commercial but we all go fuzzy with our hands and it's seven commercials it was awesome that's definitely a fun part about the show that i remember most fondly is just the the rapid fire of the the sketches and some of the things you could pick up on even as kids of like commercials or other pop culture things you would see on tv and that was part of the fun of it is making those connections yeah this episode was loaded with medication a lot of, <laughs> lot of, a lot of great comedic medication names and 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 references it was good curtain rod Every time I see a commercial now, I'm, it sounds like a roundhouse, all the, the new Big Pharma stuff that's on TV. I'm like, oh, that would have been on our show. We need to roundhouseify it. <laughs> yeah. But at the end, you could die from everything yeah. right now on television. You could die, and they tell you really fast. You could die from all these things. Here we go. I'm going to tell you all the things you're going to die for. You're going to die for all the things you're going to die for. Yeah. <laughs> but they show you all these pleasant images, so it's okay. <laughs> Yeah, it's all just laughs and giggles and sunshine. I got the vaccination shot and, you know, everybody was worried about getting vaccination shots and I got the vaccination shot and I got the booster shot and I get no side effects, no side effects, no side effects. So, I mean. I will say my favorite of Malcolm X is the huge punctuation mark that Alfred's pelvis makes at the very end of the game. <laughs> He nails it. He's <laughs> really far out and around. Amazing. You've been had. You've been took. Hoodwinked. Bamboozled. Led astray. They bamboozled. When it landed on the sperm cell, the sperm cell landed on us. The Malcolm X chromosome, a spikely reproduction. All right, Brett, next part of the episode, my friend. Moving on. So after this, the camera swings into the Every Family set where Dad, played by Jonathan Crane, has a heated argument with Mom, Sean DeWalt. 
on how she's fed up with making her husband dinner. Apparently, she did not get the Barnswell account because it was given to a man, despite her being at work longer and working much harder to earn it, and this outcome troubles her greatly. Dad questions, what is it you do anyway? Mom replies, people in entertainment always work vague jobs, but go for the Barnswell account. Dad makes a jab at Mom, complaining that his dinner will be later than ever thanks to this issue. The scene segues into Mom watching a fake TV ad in the living room feature Corey Wyman, played by David Sedoni, displaying equality. That mom can drink to feel more empowered to stick it to the man, thanks to real testosterone extracted from the biceps of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Mom, <laughs> mom grabs the tea out of the TV and guzzles it without a second thought. She then sprouts chest hair and hits on Corey. He ignores her pass and suggests the audience to try it decaffeinated for all the fuzz without the buzz. Trisha. <laughs> Do any of you resonate with any of the characters from the scene? Mom, Dad, Corey? Well, for me personally, I was a see, I ended up being a mom by myself. So I had my kids and so I was working a lot. And there was stuff that was going on in my work that I would come home and like I didn't get the junk at the time. My kids were like, Are you making dinner still? Like nobody cares. That all that stuff going on in my mind, you know, and my house is comedy. We just, we're just raised on comedy. That's just what's happening. But in our most stressful times, most of the comedy would come out of my house from when I was frustrated. Like they wanted to make a pizza and I got a phone call about a job and I had to handle them. Throw it, mom, throw it. And I just threw it up and it stuck on the ceiling and it was hilarious and it down like a booger and we were like okay call domino's pizza right now <laughs> like call we're ordering pizza but that that moment broke it and those moments when we break i think is when we realize we're just moving through our life a little too fast and isn't it the moments that we share you know together with each other that that we can laugh and we can say like I'm overwhelmed I didn't get the account and you're driving around in a chair with a barbecue on it and the kids are fighting I need a moment but I could definitely relate to the tension of families having to work and go to school and meet all these time obligations I guess really good Julian thanks Mark I always resonated with Sean with what she had to say. I mean, what they scripted her for to say. You know, she's she was very feminist, like in pro woman. So I loved it. And this episode in particular, uh, in and please um, add to it if you can think of other examples. But watching the show, this episode I have noticed more so than the others, where the audience was really applauding almost every single. I mean, they they always applaud after a scene. But almost after everything uh, Sean had said, the there was a huge uproar, almost everything that she said. I am strong. I am invincible. I am woman, hear me roar. Suffering, suffering. She slipped into that horrible hell and ready thing. I think we should call manholes person holes, huh? And why are there men used but not women used? If they can put a man on the moon, then why can't they put all of them there? Was this a fairly common thing, or was this a pretty new thing just for this one episode? I think that was striking for this particular episode, because some of the other things that I would think would hit 
just were crickets. And then when we started getting into the subject matter, they were really responding to, you know, I thought that was it struck me a couple of times like, wow, my goodness gracious. Well, a lot of that's shows great. don't talk about it. So that's reasons why, you know, everybody was kind of like gravitating towards that. So, OK, somebody's actually talking about this subject for real on television, although it was comedy, but there was still we was actually discussing something that, you know, only gets discussed on Dateline NBC or 60 Minutes. So, you know, and for, this age, show, and for this so age group, like, too. Right. In front of this age group. So they were like trying to understand and grapple with the fact that, oh, this is they're talking about adult stuff, real stuff that actually exists. And, you know, and kids probably now people that was watching the show then they're like, this stuff is still going on now. Wow. What's going on? You know, so um, it's it's tough. I mean, you know, it. Uh, even though we were tackling it and you thought we would think by now we would be further along, but we still, hey, we still struggling with it, you know, as, as, a, as, a, as a homo sapien. So, you know, it, that's that's part of the, the human experience. Whoa, whoa, I guess. whoa, whoa. Can't use that word, bro. Don't call me sapien. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, here's a here's a question that I have now since we're talking about how it affects and, and what our thoughts are on the, on the episode. So this is for Tricia. So, Tricia, you were you were a fan of the show in, in, at the time. And how old were you in '93 when the episodes were? I would have been 13. Okay, which was the demographic, and I think I would say uh, predominantly, would you say our demographic was teenage, 12, 13, 14 year old females, mm-hmm. ladies? Yeah. So, how did the episode? Mm, I don't know. Boys out? was watching it too. Yeah, but there was only four of them, so we're not really talking about. <laughs> <laughs> So, so, but the question is, Trisha, as a as a thirteen year old girl watching an episode like this, um, how did it register for you? You know, I was trying to think back, and I don't. I watched these episodes over and over and over, and for some reason, this is an episode I didn't watch that often. And I think it's because oh, we got to turn this off then. No, I've watched it enough this week. I've watched it enough this week. No, I was a I was a very innocent 13-year-old. So I think a lot of this episode kind of went over my head. And either that or felt kind of good. Felt kind of taboo, like, oh, they, they said sperm, you know. Like I wasn't I was uncomfortable. But I also realized, um, just kind of thinking back to this and some other scenes from some of the other episodes, even back as far as season one, how much this show empowered young girls. And even if I I couldn't uh, put my finger on it as a 13-year-old, to think about how um, my self-esteem or my self-confidence was affected by the show and that I felt empowered to just, you know, reach my potential. And I think even back to like season one with like Dominic and Crystal, like in the ring, like having the sparring match. And I could still hear Crystal saying like, nobody's going to tell me how to be me. And at that point I was like 11 or 12 for season one. And, and I still remember, you know, and I can quote the whole thing, but I won't do that to you. Um, where they were like, okay, you know, the boy's gonna have to come back with some sort of a comeback, but he didn't and girls win. And it was like goosebumps and I cheered, you know, the girls won. And and I think from like season one on, 
as a young woman, a, a girl watching the, the show, I always saw um, the women being, you know, spotlighted and and empowering young girls to be equal. And you know, I didn't know the term gender equality. I didn't know that was a thing. I didn't necessarily know what a feminist was. I probably found out on that episode what a feminist was, but it's definitely molded how I thought of myself and how I, you know, grew into my teen years. So. It, it was it was an episode that that I didn't understand the weight or the importance of the topic at the time, and so now I think to go because back, like what you're saying, we didn't it. have the words, the song though. Sorry, because we didn't have the, we didn't have the song like how we had, we used words instead of the songs, like for Crystal's thing. I think in a lot of episodes we use songs to also help you remember, you know, what the meaning of everything was. Like it was all it was more we we played it out. So maybe it was missing that. And to uh, your point, Sean, uh, over in the Facebook group again, I'm going to throw another fan out there. Uh, Jill St. John, when I had announced that we were doing this episode, uh, she had actually commented that this is one of her top episodes and that she is always quoting it. So there, there, there is, it did resonate with an audience. So it's, and it's great that, it, it stuck with people uh, and that it's something that they were able to continue to chew on all these years. Right. So, yeah, to answer your question, it wasn't something where like this was one I could quote and I knew, you know, I watched all the time, but it definitely like it sunk in. And I took yep. the, the message of this one. I, I mean, I think about just, you know, the self-esteem episode and the popularity episode and all these things that like I was dealing with at that age and how much this show and and the messages that I that were like filling my head and I didn't even realize were like impacting how I was gonna go into my teen years and how I was gonna think of myself and um, I know my self confidence and my self esteem and all you know I now now as an adult to look back at this episode and think, yeah, I've had to be in the workforce and I've had to, you know, stand up for myself as a graphic designer in a world where it's very male dominated. And I've had to, you know, fight for equality. And I, I get it. Like I watch that episode now and I'm cheering it on. I just, I didn't necessarily get it as a 13 year old. I was going to say, I think the show came from that root like those early episodes of Crystal in the boxing ring and all that, you know, the 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 real bottom line of the show is we take everything awkward and it's, you know, either Ivan or Mickey as, you know, the, the any kid and we go through self-esteem and, you know, school elections or whatever. But in general, feminism was there from day one. This was just the one episode we actually talked just about it. But in every episode, whether dealing with sex education or or you know junior high problems or whatever we always had the girls a little tougher than kind of the fumbling goofy guys and that way i thought every episode the girls girl characters were got always a little bit feature on a little bit smarter you know of course that's the guy playing dumb kid so everybody was smarter than me so well, if you think too our show was driven our, our show runner was a woman rita and it would be interesting to have her here to get her take what promoted this particular episode. Like what prompted it, what, what, what created it? Was this something by design? Was it something that she thought uh, 
I want to do an episode based on this? Or was it just the other writers said, hey, we should all, you know, you kick around ideas and, you know, sometimes you don't know where where concepts will come from. But I, I wonder, it'd have to come from her. What from this particular episode? You would, think there, you would think there would be maybe something in the culture at that moment that drove that kind of thing. But there was so much space between seasons. I think they just were brainstorming mm -hmm. and came up with everything well, we tackled a lot of subjects in, in season yeah, three I, I will tell you that um that, that there was one i guess as we're talking about it i'm thinking you know i had the advantage of coming into a season where everything was on the table there everything was on the table and uh i used to wonder and probably even later on i think how did these kids even get this sometimes i felt like and I don't say this in, in, a, in a criticism way, but uh, you watch episodes of a show that you grew up on, you know, Trisha, you're, the impressionable stuff. You don't know it's in, in making an impression on you at the moment. It's, it's later on when you have these epiphany moments when you go, oh, I saw that on Archie Bunker. I saw that on Sanford and Son or Good Times. I saw that on Andy Griffith's show. Um, these little life moments that hit you. So uh, I used to think, do these kids even get these jokes? Because I feel like they're dated. For these kids, they're not going to get it. They're 13, right? They're 13 years old. I mean, I, I get it because at that time, I'm in my 20s, you know. Uh, but sometimes maybe that's where the magic happens. You do a joke. Listen, if I'm 30 years old and I'm writing a joke for a 13-year-old kid's show, maybe I'm not really connecting to the audience the way I think I am. However, there's something to be said where you put that – a more mature humor out there and they catch up to it because I grew up on Richard Pryor and George Carlin I may not have fully grasped it all the time but there's moments where it catches up to you right so or Carol or Carol or Carol Burnett, Burnett any good, of the good shows example. that we brought up on I watched an episode of Mary Tyler Moore and there's an episode where they talk about feminism you know where she she's actually uh, Lou Grant's you know she was interviewing him for the episode because women in that time couldn't be bosses so you know even that was back in mary tyler moore days so you know to bring it up to speed to to roundhouse is still again we're still grappling with it today here we are 2023 the people marching in the streets you know you got comics dave Chappelle, people talking about it so it's it's still out there man it's still we struggling with it as a human being and we got to you know it's it's something I don't know when it's ever going to be fixed, but we we have the conversations through comedy, through television, through movies, through music, and we're still trying to you know make it work. Mm -hmm. And I feel as long as we continue to put those topics and conversations out there, then eventually people will be willing to answer to it, so that we can resolve it and move past it. Yeah, it's still a taboo topic after all these years. So surprising. No, we're we're going to keep talking about it. Yeah, and walk through it because, you know, I was ready to have a child in my life. I was coming to being a mom. That's what was happening in my life. I was coming into the mom time, and I shouldn't get fired from my show, or I shouldn't have to be told that I shouldn't have my baby because it's not good for marketing or whatever. And that's where I was happy is the whole cast came around me, Rita, Buddy, Benny, everyone said when Nickelodeon was like, oh, she's pregnant, you have to fire her. 
and the first thing he said was, she's she's driving the show with the comedy with Mark David. Like, that's her place in the show. And the show needs her. Like, Ivan has his place. Alfred has, we all have our place. And so they came to that agreement that I could be on camera as long as you didn't show me pregnant. So we said, okay. So then the prop guys came up with that idea when I was the waitress that I came out with the table attached to me. And then everyone just sat down at the table. On the last episode, they wanted to, what was it? Um, it's hard to sing and dance because I'm pregnant. Oh, hurry up this segment. We were going to show it. We were going to do it. Buddy wrote it into the song. We were going to show that I was pregnant. And it was like, let's hurry up this segment. And I was going to jump out. It's hard and they said no way no way are we going to show that but you could tell that I was getting bigger or whatever and I had a lot of fan mail from young girls going oh my gosh I'm pregnant I don't know what to do oh my goodness I'm in this situation I'm being abused because they could tell that I was pregnant and that when that wave hits you of all what's going on behind the scenes in the world and you get all this dump of beautiful innocence what do i do um you know you're faced with like oh my gosh you mature very quickly as what Trisha was talking about you go whoa i'm carrying not only my own career but i'm carrying the truth of my honesty as a person with the public I'm being honest in front of everybody. It's I'm doing it. I'm a young mom. And that helped, I think, a lot of people deal with us on Roundhouse, not in the traditional way, like, oh, my God, you're on that show and celebrities, which I went down that path. And that's a marketing path. That's a whole thing that is not real. What we had on Roundhouse was a real connection to everybody. And I think people felt not intimidated to be around this, but like relieved. You're real. You're a real person. You have a real life, a real family, real dreams and real goals. And you're really friends. You really come together. And that's where I saw still to this day that people go, oh, my God, you're a Roundhouse what you know and it's because they felt themselves being honored for the honesty of what we're just dealing with that we don't talk about indeed it's a beautiful answer yeah i always thought that roundhouse felt that way because we had we were giving a percentage of what we actually felt like it's nickelodeon we couldn't let alfred go off on a 10 minute monologue, but it happened every day and we laughed our faces off. And, you know, there was so much comedy that was held in, but there were so many, uh, you know, uh, I don't want to say political, but there was just a lot of stuff that the cast and the writers and the directors, we all wanted the world to be more inclusive. That was all it was. So mm -hmm. we wanted to go more and more and more in every episode. So what you're seeing is, even a censored version and we're we're just punching trying to get more and more out there that was definitely the vibe on the set and it's mm -hmm. funny the things that slipped through like Scheissenhausen and things like yeah, that yeah 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 <laughs> i know uh we that was that was a beautiful discussion i loved every bit of that and, and we're gonna have some more here in a bit uh brett why don't you continue the next part of the episode buddy with pleasure 
Back in the living room set, Sam laments how she wishes a man would walk alongside her instead of all over her, as her mom remarks, adding she wishes she didn't have to walk 10 paces behind them. We then jumped into a song, If You Can't Beat Him, Join Him, sung by Jennifer, Sean, Mickey, and Natalie. Cut to our first commercial break. After the commercial break, we return to the roundhouse where four dancers pull off a funky dance routine with matching black stools, hats, trench coats, and shades. We immediately head into a fake TV ad Dad is watching called Weather Channel, the movie, featuring a whole slew of parody celebrities describing different states of weather. The channel changes to Natalie and Julene's characters, who are now bikini babes, dancing on screen. While Dad is enjoying the programming, Mom storms in addressing Dad as Potato Head. She turns off the TV, Dad gets upset, and Mom retaliates, stating she demands equal rights because she is able as any man. Dad replies, okay, who gave you the Cosmo, Cosmopolitan magazine? Mom doubles down, stating she is not his honey, she is a feminist. Dad has a meltdown in a close-up shot on camera, similar to Kevin from Home Alone. Mom paces back and forth center state with a powerful speech on why culture has so many manfluences. She exits stage left while Son, which is Ivan's character, enters, asking Dad how he can appreciate women. Dad tells Son to keep it down, not to advertise he's a man after her tirade. Dad offers to give Son a magazine, to which he perks up with glee. However, it's not what he's expecting. Dad grins, giving his son a copy of Sissy Magazine, which details all the way he is a sensitive male from how to cry to making quiche. Trisha? So the next question is, what were the goals and intentions with handling topics of feminism and equality in this episode? To make sure that I studied my script. Um. <laughs> I was happy I got to play Clint Eastwood. <laughs> I like the wigs. I like the big wigs. It was funny. You wore quite a few of them. Yeah. It was easy. It was easy because Rita was driving the ship, man. Uh, you know, from day one. Rita was like, and Rita and Crystal had a, a relationship. So those of us who didn't know them, you know, all us guys that came in and didn't know them before, we like, oh, okay, Alan C and Rita and John and Crystal, they all know each other, but Crystal and Rita are, are pushing this ship. So we it was never a question right from the start. I love that just I love to distract everybody when they're so serious trying to hear their lines. <laughs> I think in general, like all the subject matter throughout the, the show, throughout the whole time, we were just like, yeah, 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 yeah. That makes perfect sense and it feels right and feels good. And, you know, it just, yeah, I need a script. <laughs> Do you want to borrow yeah. mine? <laughs> I would say too, it, for me, playing women and the girls was an exaggeration it really was so that we could see the difference of those girls at school that are like hey look at your hair what about my hair look at your hair that's not a real self so when we over exaggerate that i think that helps to be able to in contrast we can see when we're authentic we can see a hundred percent when like mickey said when we sing the song when we round it up at the end of the day, down at the roundhouse, we're all friends, you know. Hey, uh, we just gotta we gotta go take a picture real quick for this game show that we gotta do. So, okay. we'll uh we'll try to come back. I don't know if you guys will still be here when we get back. But we'll, we'll come back after we go do a quick picture. Good to see you guys. Miss you. It was good seeing everybody. Yeah. Go to work. You know, <laughs> gotta pay the bill. Have fun. Go to work. We'll, if we're still here, then we'll yep. let you in. Okay, yeah. Alfred. I want contact. All right. Yes. 
<laughs> if anybody see Benny, just let him know. I got. I, I'm selling him these albums to him. I'm selling these albums. <laughs> 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 I'm selling them. I'm selling to him. One of the last. I ain't gonna give them. I got to get a hundred thousand each album, and they worth about a half a million. I, I saw them online. People we, selling them on eBay. We doing. We doing the voice tonight. We got to go do the voice. The chair. Nice. Princess oh, cool. <laughs> Benny, hopefully you're watching no, us. Good to you, <laughs> you know, it's a trip. It's a trip for me. Uh, see you guys. I was going to say it's a trip for me because my, my little girl's 12 and turning 13. You know, my family's just a mess. We watch NFL football and musicals because that's the way we roll here. And my little girl, like, Roundhouse, it, I can't believe it felt like it was so ahead of its time, but because we're all excited to be like, hey, let's watch Oklahoma, let's watch, you know, and, and every one of those musicals, she's like, why are the women all just sitting around? This is sucks. She's like, she hates all the early Disney movies. She's like, it's just a bunch of princesses sitting around, you know, and like that is such a, 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 a touch point for these girls today. And they're, you know, again, watching the Super Bowl this weekend, all these commercials with all the, you know, women empowerment stuff. Um, but it started way back when, you know, and that's like in the 90s is when you saw musicals change and movies change and things were finally coming from a woman's perspective. And, uh, you know, even female directors and things were starting to get more play. Mm -hmm. And it's awesome. come a long way. But I think it's classic. We're, we're trying to tell my little 12 year old girl how dope these old musicals are and she's like female roles are whack <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think the tides are definitely turning in the early 90s with a lot of experimentation and really thinking about the authentic connection between the performers and the viewers at home and i noticed that as a common thread as i mentioned in the 30th anniversary reunion episode uh that made a lot of these uh, shows that Nickelodeon were like getting on their roster back in 1991, uh, helping them just take off like a rocket ship. Are You Afraid of the Dark, Ren and Stimpy, Doug, Rugrats, just to name a few. Uh, Clarissa explains it all. It all dealt with like characters that were dealing with stuff that was relatable, but also they were cutting edge so that you wanted to be like them or you could aspire to some of their values that made them either like cool or intelligent or just something that was more desirable than you know, some of the struggles that we deal with with our lives growing up. All right. Moving on, Mr. Brent. All righty. Back to the episode. We're segueing into the next sketch featuring Michael Bolton, played by David Sedoni, <laughs> advertising a new male fragrance called Wuss for the sensitive male. Seymour passes by commenting he's wearing a nice perfume. Cut back to dad asking mom if he is still having, if she is still having her equal rights problem. In a deep robotic sounding tone, she angrily shouts in dad's face, I'll make your voice hard, monkey boy. She slaps a frozen TV dinner onto his lap, then leaves. Dad complains why family normally has rump roast on Thursday nights, not frozen TV dinner. While he contemplates all these sudden changes, Natalie visits dad, asking him if he wants to become a feminist. She then advertises the dinner as Stay Hungry Man's Dinner from Turd's Eye, mentioning several of the punny dishes such as chauvinist pigs in a blanket and equal rice aroni. Dad motors out of the living room and we transition to the classroom where the announcement intercom mentions the big autumn dance is coming up and they need chaperones. Julene's character complains the candy she is eating is melting all over her. Sam adds that the candy is a product of a male-dominated society that makes poor confectionery decisions women are better at making. 
Jennifer's character advertises Feminems, a candy that neither dissolves nor digests ever. It just makes you angry in a man's world. <laughs> Julian's character asks Sam if she has a date for the dance, to which Sam replies, I don't care for any stupid dance. Julian's character adds Sam wouldn't think it would be stupid if Mark took her. Just then, Mark enters the classroom scene. Everyone but Sam scatters. Mark approaches Sam sheepishly, wondering if Sam will kick this guy's butt who's been bullying Mark lately. Sam rolls her eyes and leaves. Mark wonders what he said to make her upset. Trisha, what do you got for us? So how do you feel that this scene depicts gender roles back then and even today? I don't see the problem. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just kind of like poetically there that she slaps a frozen dinner that someone else cooked that's in front of the TV. She slams it on it. There's your food. They don't have a relationship at all. You know, there's no family relationship. They're, they're those gender roles. But at the same time, you look at the abuse if the guy doesn't know what's going on. And that happens a lot with women that they've done a whole scenario in their head They've gone through this whole thing of assuming this is what's happening. And a lot of times I think the communication, when you don't just say, hey, this is what's wrong with me. I'm frustrated because you're not getting out of the chair, dude. Let's go. Right? Instead of doing that, it becomes passive aggressive. Mm -hmm. And then she is now like, here's your thing. And da -da -da. We, we're not running in copacetic good times anymore you know <laughs> yeah there's definitely communication issues between mom and dad uh throughout this episode not just in this scene where they think that what they're doing is either right or they're just not being able to convey what they need from the other person to make this relationship continue to function in a harmonious manner and uh we just continue continue to see their heads button button but until we even get the the kids involved and medications involved and it, it just seems to like spiral out of control and it could i feel like it could have been avoided if they just took the time to slow down even pause for a little bit and just think about the words they're using to talk to each other rather than acting on impulse and you know re, re, reacting rather than responding to you know each other's complaints about each other yeah for sure and that's the thing that we have to look at what are we teaching our children by our example because kids don't know what the heck is going on they don't know the drum they see the action they see the behavior they're scared because it's not grounded anymore and then look at you know Mickey's character and she arm wrestles him right away because that's what she knows is going on at home there's no comfortable intimacy it's just i'm being intimate oh yeah and television has a lot to do with that there you know there's a whole other thing that we don't even discuss of the drug of the television world that we we say it's okay to be addicted to television basically but there's always like that hole in the house when someone's attention is not fully on the family and i think that's the key yeah definitely it, it brings um requiem for a dream to my mind when i think about just everyday indulgences that we take for granted but also 
having such an impact on us in terms of manipulating the normal way we'd think if we just remove that element and you know have more face-to-face -face interactions to um, strengthen the the relationships in our lives yeah to calm your psyche to go back mm -hmm. to one you know, we say in acting back to one do over just forget it fresh one start over we have to go back to one almost constantly that's how we process as beings and I think we're pushed as a society like the moment you wake up boing make that sale yeah stimulation overload goals expectations yeah. all of it yeah proper decisions I feel like as a society because normally as people and this is this is to go true with anything we move at a pace if someone starts to speed up another person speeds up and then the next thing you know we're all doo -doo 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 circus clowns yeah eventually you know we'll, we'll be hitting a wall or going off the edge and to to really take in the impact of our actions of just not taking that time to bring awareness to the situation yeah, just so we all know, like I told my son, I don't care if you're flying to the moon or jumping off the third story building, you're still standing in your own shoes and st sharing space with everybody. So be cool, dude. You know, just Indeed. be cool. Same to dad. Yeah. Gotta get yeah. out of that chair <laughs> and just give everyone a hug. Yeah. Turn the TV off. So moving on with the plot, uh, back at the living room set, Sam asks mom if he, she gets that way too fresh feeling. Mom dumps on men, stating that they are rude, crude, and totally insensitive. And to fix that, Sam should try massive guilt feminist spray that will make chauvinist pigs squeal with delight. Sam proceeds to spray her father directly in the eyes. Dad screams, covering his glasses. I can't see, he cries out. A second later, dad apologizes to mom and acts more feminine in nature in his dialogue. Once mom finishes advertising the spray, dad turns on the TV with a bike horn to watch Curtin Rod Stewart hanging on the window, played by David Sidoni. As he, <laughs> I told you, Drapery. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. As he uh, badly sings one of Rod Stewart's hits, Have I Told You, Drapery, That I Love You. Mom interrupts with her emotionally charged feminist chant, pacing for the TV and into the background. Cue upbeat, funky dance routine featuring Julene, Alfred, Sean, Mickey, Ivan, and Seymour. Fade out to the commercial break. Roundhouse and the big orange couch will snick again after this. Nick invites you to explore lifestyles of the putrid and smelly. Every weekday, descend into the underworld and get to know our real monsters as never before. Admire their attire. Look at me, sweetheart. Savor their behavior. <laughs> and sample their cuisine. Yes, they eat garbage, and I don't know why! Repulse yourself with our real monsters every weekday at 4-3 Central, only on Nickelodeon. Ren, why are we hiding in the dark? A new episode, you fool! The brand new Ren and Stimpy this week on Nickelodeon? Shut up! You said too much already! Don't you see? Soon they will know everything. See the unspeakable things! Maybe if we don't tell them when it's on, they'll never see it! Stimpy, for once! You're brilliant! We just want to watch Nickelodeon's brand new episode of Ren and Stimpy this Saturday on SNICK. One of the most memorable things about our favorite Nickelodeon shows is the music. The theme songs set the tone for the adventures we are about to embark on. The music in the background added to the weight, silliness, and even fear that we should be experiencing. 
not to mention the various musical guests on All That, the fun music videos on Doug, or the various fake bands on countless episodes. Music and songs are integral in setting the scene for some of our favorite childhood shows. That's why Brett and I partnered together with guest Zach to discuss our favorite Nick tunes. You will only find this episode exclusively on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash splatattack to gain access to this episode as well as our backlog of episodes, live streams, early releases, and more. And while you're here, please hit the like button, subscribe, interact with us on the YouTube community, make sure you hit the notification bell so you don't miss anything that our slime tank has in its contents. Grab your Nickelodeon Sonic Blast and crank up the volume. We now return to Roundhouse and Snick, only on Nick. Trisha, we got to ask for our esteemed guests. Well, first I have to add, I cannot hear that Rod Stewart song without singing the Curtain Rod Stewart. Right. <laughs> Come on, Sid. Come nobody, on, Sid. Nobody can. Nobody can. <laughs> that, is, that is my mark on the world. Have I told you, Drapery, that I love you? Ladyfingers should be renamed Person Tickets. Is that going on your headstone? <laughs> this is the dude you sing when you sing Rod Stewart. Uh, but questions. Have I told you, Drapery, that I love you? Um, was there ever a time in your life where you felt being sensitive in a situation benefited all the people involved? Yes. <laughs> Okay, maybe not like that. Maybe not that sensitive. Um, you want to know the truth is is that uh, I, I think that these characters, the the mom and the dad, aren't. They're in a weird way. They're probably really representative of the parents that we had, or, or the grandparents that we had, and the evolution. Of course, we all we we try to grow. We try to uh, open ourselves up to growing another level being more communicative but uh you know they're caricature and yet they're not they they were our real parents you know there's no textbook of how to really be you learn from the people behind you so yeah we want to try to grow and, and do better so um there's times when you think that uh what you're saying is sensitive and then you read the room and you go oh, what i'm saying is really not being received <laughs> by the room uh, and those are moments that you can grow. At the end of the day, though, you know, those life circumstances are going to happen. And you can't wait for the world to fit your need of, oh, this is what I need in my life. No, you have to learn to adapt and work around it a little bit, too. You know, it's not all just kumbaya and, and uh, uh, the, the world will accommodate me. Uh, these kind of episodes point out the things that we all see. You know, it's what we all grew up with. Let's be honest. That's that's what we grew up with. Um, was it always right? No. And yet, at the same time, it wasn't all wrong either. You know, so uh, you you see what didn't work. You try to adapt and do better. You know, most of us here are now parents, and uh, you know, we all believe in trying to break the cycle of the bad stuff. But no matter how bad your mother or your father was, there were moments in there, of course, and you go, God, that was really good. I act just like my dad. And some days you go, that's not a good thing. 
And yet there's other times when you go, you know what? I'm really glad that I learned that lesson from him or my mom or her, you know? So um, being sensitive to, uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a dad, I'm a husband and I have three daughters. It's important for me, for them to know that you can be whatever you want to be. You don't have to be what I want you to be, but you know, do it with your own integrity and, and don't let anybody tell you no, even if that comes from me, because you know, I'll bring my own, my own stuff to it. And I'll say, no, you can't do that. And they'll say, why not? And then I have to step back and go, yeah, really? Why not? Why, why can't they? So I, I catch myself, you know, I have an impulse. I speak out loud. I say something, um, being sensitive to their needs is something I have to learn and grow. So in a weird way, I become dad on the, on the, on the chair, right? On the, on the roll away. What, what, what was the word? Motorized. The chair. <laughs> No, 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 no. It was a, it was a nickname that was for the, the expressway, whatever it's called. Um, Easy chair expressway. Yeah, we, we, we become that. You know, we're, we're our own stereotypes. Every one of us, whether I'm dad or, or Julene, maybe his mom at some point, right? Um, then you, your kids teach you too. Your wife teaches you too. Your daughters will teach you. Uh, I don't know. I feel like I'm I'm rambling a little bit, but it's it comes from, you know, there there's all these things that go with having a, a child. I have a 32 year old. Holy crap! I, <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. I have a 32 year old who's a school teacher. I have a 24 year old. She's married to someone in the Navy. They're in Spain right now. I have a 15 year old navigating high school. That's a lot to unpack. <laughs> And, and, and generationally, uh, you learn different things. What you did with your 32-year-old is not what you did with the 24-year-old. And they teach you real fast when you're at your 15-year-old. You go, wow, I can't believe I did that. And, and and there's times when you go, yeah, I really screwed that up. And then there's times I go, you know what? I'm glad I did it. I'm going to do it again. <laughs> so uh, that's episodes like this. I think the writing highlights those moments in our lives. Truly, truly they do. Um, I know a lot of generations have their own baggage with how they were raised and, you know, preventing passing on some of their flaws or mistakes onto the next generation so that we can get better as a species a little bit each time. Um, but it's, it's really nice to have these conversations and these moments with everyone, whoever it is, just to really collectively come together and think about, okay, yeah, we, we probably shouldn't do these things next time, even if we've had made these mistakes in the past, because we don't want to keep repeating them forever. We want we want to learn, we want to grow, we want to evolve and come out as better people through it. And I feel like that, again, stems back to uh, the, confl the conflict that mom and dad keep having is just not getting on the same level. We need to find that balance and that understanding from the other side so that we can all move forward and not just be at a constant stalemate when whenever like certain issues or conflicts arise good life lessons in the shelf like way more that I've noticed in in reviewing this versus when I was a kid just tuning in for the the music yeah, it's very deep <laughs> yeah it ages like fine wine and that's why it's uh, getting a resurgence again in popularity all right continue the the episode there so back from our second commercial break, we ease into the sketches with a more low-key, jazzy dance routine featuring the four boys, Ivan, Sean, Alfred, and Seymour, jumping around in a tightly choreographed routine. Dad rolls in once the audience cheers for the dancers, 
and we see another fake ad on dad's big screen living room TV. This time, Lonnie Anderson advertises Burt Reynolds rap to keep your man fresh. He's young only once, but old for a long, long time. <laughs> Dad gets a kick out of the ad, but accidentally insults his wife. Segue into another ad narrated by Natalie. Politically correct doll, a tool designed to say things the safe way without offending anyone you love. She closes the ad by explaining it also comes in a sugar-free option for the anatomically engorged. Dad watches another ad on TV for bugs and butt cracks, but is really interrupted by another one of mom's angry rants as she paces around the stage, proclaiming changes society must make to allow men and women to be treated equally. An example of what she mentions is how mailmen should be called person persons and Girl Scouts should be called goddess warrior baked goods distributors. <laughs> Mom exits the scene. Dad changes the channel to a bean cuisine entree for just guys. Dad perks up then rolls his keister up close to the TV where Mark David's character explains to him the ingredients contain just beans. And dad sings the beans beans song, then rolls out of the living room. Take it away, Trisha. So what are your thoughts on the fake products in these scenes? And and was there any kind of difference between doing like the fake products or just the, the random TV commercials? Is, is the ceiling, the feeling still very much the same? I like the I like the fake products a lot. Um, it's yeah, it is feeling the same. It's just an extension of the little, the TV bits. I like stupid. I, I'm a Mel Brooks person, so I like things. When the Beans thing came up, I was stoked that I got assigned to it. Blazing Saddles fan, and so that's perfect. I loved it. I love silliness. Yeah. If you saw the work that our props department did in the back to create those props. I, I I got such a kick going back to their little workstation and watching them make up products. Uh, I just, I'm just amazed. I'm just amazed at what they could actually do. And they look real when they went on stage. They look like a real product. I got to give credit to, to yeah. all those people backstage. They were amazing. And it's crazy how 30 years later that those, those, uh, parody names will still pop in my head. I'm with my kids at Toys R Us and I'm singing Malibu Mudslide Buddy. <laughs> Where did that come from? You can't buy a pack of gum without thinking about tried it. Tried it. Because <laughs> they made me, remember they kept making me emphasize it so it sounded so stupid. <laughs> and you were just laughing at me. <laughs> tried it. Oh, I hated that. <laughs> I love this one because Lonnie Anderson, it's more like revenge product. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like keep him around, but sometimes cut off his breathing. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I've, I've got a question of how challenging was it to jump from a dance routine in between sketches? It's breathing. That's the hardest part. It was like for Mark David and I, when we would shoot out, from a dance and then have to like do a sketch. I'm going, <laughs> but I'm hiding it by going, hi everybody. And inside I'm going, <laughs> those were the hard ones because you're, you can't speak, you're out of air, but we did it. We're done. <laughs> yeah, the same, the same goes from coming out of a scene that had a lot of energy or something like that and then sing. Mm -hmm. And uh, Laura Williams uh, came back. We actually have a, a couple of questions for Ivan. Uh, Laura Williams wanted to know, what was your experience like splitting your time between choreography 
and being any kid? Uh, you know, the the the, the I. I looked at my role on the show as a dancer. I, w I had no comedy experience. I, ca I can't sing to save my life. Uh, and uh, so it was, I, I owned it. You know, I loved, uh, I, and I loved the staging aspects of the show. I worked really closely with Reed on staging the show and 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 doing the choreography. You know, it was just a creative time in, in our lives. And, and we had, you know, I think, in this episode specifically, I didn't choreograph this episode, but if you look at this episode, some of the dance routines that we did, the guys and the girls are doing the same choreography. It wasn't uh -huh. like guys choreography and girls choreography. We're doing the same thing. And I think it's credit to Julene and, and Mickey and the, and the, and the, and the female, you know, cast that was on the show. We weren't, they, you know, like she was just saying, it was very difficult. Some of these, some of the, some of the choreography was extremely athletic and, and aggressive. And the girls were doing it the same as the guys. So I think that's credit to them. And um, I, I, I just really enjoyed um, the freedom and creative freedom that we were given on the show to to, to push choreography and and, and, fe and make it featured. You know, it was it was featured on the show. And I think that was um, it was just a great, um, great experience all around. I thought it was great how you I mean, because originally I think like me and you were hired as dancers and like but then you filled in that space when Dominic was no longer in the, it, a part of the show and you filled that space up and you did it so smoothly. I, like, I always was like in awe because I know like whenever I had like in that episode when I had to step in, it was very challenging, you know, to, to speak when we were used to dancing our, our you know, our art. So I applauded you. <laughs> and uh, Reese Borges, he was somebody else who was also in the Facebook group. He wanted, he had a choreography question for you, Ivan. Uh, how does your choreography style differ from Barry's? Well, I, I've known, you know, it's funny. It was inspired by Barry. I think maybe, maybe my choreography had a little more, you know, Barry was, uh, uh, he was also a technician. We're very similar. I, I, I met Barry when I was probably 12 years old and, and and I've known him for a really, really long time. And uh, and he inspired a lot of the stuff that I did. Maybe maybe my choreography was a little more technical um, and his was a little more staccato and, and street. Um, I, I think I probably incorporated a little bit more partnering because I did a lot of partnering as a dancer when I was younger. So I think I probably had a little more partnering in, in some of the stuff that I did. I think that was maybe a difference. I also tried to play with different styles of dance. You know, we did a Latin dance number and and you know we pushed the band to create. You know we always worked really closely with the band. So I think maybe my stuff was a little more technical and jazzy than than Barry's, but still had the same street edge. And you know we were obviously collaborating. You know I worked with Mickey a lot on the on the routines. I worked with Alfred and, and Seymour a lot on the routines as well. So it was you know it was a very collaborative experience when it came to that. And and Barry was you know he was one of my mentors. So for me, you know I was just trying to. Uh, keep keep that level of quality and, and and choreography at the highest level that he had already set the bar for. It was a high bar that he set, and it was you know I just wanted to keep that legacy going with the show and the and the movement. So you did bring some more girl stuff into it, more like the fluidity where he was more yeah staccato. I would say too, which I enjoyed. The Ivan used the geometry of the set more. Yes. Ivan would grab the geometry and go, we're going up here now, we're going over here now. And he pushed it 
uh, he's very similar to Barry, but he took Barry to another level. Like when you did the seven count bumper, that you and James came up with that, and that took us a second because you know we're pushing into a time that's not comfortable. And I mean, <laughs> Mickey and I kept going seven. You can't count seven. That's two counts. It has to be seven. And I appreciated that Ivan, you know, when it was his turn to query up, that he would, he would go and he would bring in other styles or he would like, let's get the afros out and, you know, do a whole afro number and climb on behind the drummer and go up in the audience and start there. And that's what I thought was fun when Ivan started to do it is that he was not afraid to go all over the place. Yeah. I hundred percent the the openness of the set, everything we're talking about, uh, like allowed Ivan to choreograph from inside the lens. You know, it wasn't guys do this way, bumpers are this way. It was like everybody do their thing. And so the strength that was given to our female characters from the beginning, you know, embodied through Barry's choreography where they did the same thing as the boys. Then when Ivan was given his shot, he got to do, nobody was going to say no. It was like, go for it. And that was, I loved watching Ivan choreograph from the idea of the camera, you know? And then he gets silly because we were playing soccer and like, let's do a soccer one, you know? And it was dope. It was just, it was just open like that where everybody, and again, because it came down from the top, there, was a, there wasn't just, there wasn't a strong female energy or a strong male energy on set. There was a strong energy. So when Barry passed it to Ivan. No, I agree with what you were saying. He was very inclusive. I think yeah. Ivan, you, you were like, I want to get, because you knew that like when you got Crystal involved in the dance, like, and, like you just wanted to involve everybody. It's like, it was like, it was a team thing. And I think that was really special. Here, here's a question, yeah. Ivan. <clears throat> so, you know, we've watched Barry choreograph and it's very, very organic. It happens sometimes in the moment, the, the breeze comes through the door and he moves the way of the breeze. And all of a sudden that's the new move. Um, I almost feel like Ivan, because he had those limited moments where he would choreograph, there was conceptualization already brought. Like, maybe you didn't know it at the moment. Like, and Julian, you nailed the point exactly. You really used the space. Um, you explored the entire soundstage. And uh, I wonder, did you have that in mind? You said, conceptually, this is what I want to try to do, whether it's with the staffs, you know, uh, or, or like you said, the Latin style of dance. And then you said, All right, now figure out what to do with this idea with the players that I have in hand. Yeah, I think I, I think to your point, for me, my, my strength was the, using the space and the cameras to enhance the choreography. And I think I, I'm not a natural choreographer. It, it's not natural for me. Barry is a natural choreographer. He, when he moves, you put on music and he just moves and it comes out. Organic. I had to actually work. I had to work at at at, at like the, the the movement and the choreography. I had to like come up with it and think about it. And it was hard. It was hard. I I don't necessarily think, but choreography is hard. Period. But I think I don't think it's hard for Barry because it's so natural to him. He's such he has such beautiful fluid movement as a person. And, and and he grew up, you know, he grew up in the dance world. His mother was a phenomenal dance teacher who, you know, taught, yeah, Puff, you know, she was around forever and and and, and danced, you know, and was a, he, he grew up in it. I didn't start dancing until I was t 10 or 10, I think. 
Um, but you know, he, he was dancing from the time he was two and three. And I think that's a, you know, it's a learned trait that you, you know, and, and, and I loved it and I still love it. And I was inspired by hip hop, obviously, you know, I mean, that was the, you know, 89, you know, with the new Jack swing movement. Is that because I was a, I was a photographer growing up. So for me, it was like, I was all about cameras and movement. And then I yeah. was able to take choreography. And I think that's when people look at my directing to choreograph the cameras you know that i still i that's how i dragged directing mm -hmm. i mean choreography and dance into my directing world is is to to sort of choreograph the movement so i think roundhouse is a great place for me a real uh you know and develop those ideas and develop a style um that still is sticks with me today so god ivan you should direct a musical i swear it would be shot it would be shot right I mean that. You're right. He knows how to work that the the dance through the camera. Brett, why don't you go ahead and talk about the next part? And Trisha, you can take off with the musical question. Okay. So getting back into the episode, Mom advertises another feminine product called Cramprin. Mom says she's having female problems again, but Dad doesn't care as long as it doesn't interfere with the yard work. Mom insists Dad try the candy to see if he changes his opinion of her yeah. problems. Dad takes a piece and eats it, and then his son interrupts, grabs the quote-unquote candy, and scarfs it all down. Both of them begin sobbing while experiencing a gassy, bloating feeling. Son jumps onto Dad's lap, and they both ride off stage to mop the kitchen floor together. The camera zooms out to Natalie explaining Cramprin is available at the PMS Mini Mart. The camera zooms back <laughs> as Mom states she can't let her PMS go to waste and leaves. Sam picks up the phone, complaining why it's so hard to find a nice guy after Julene's character told her Dan asked her to the dance. Switch pan to Jonathan's character hosting a dating game show called Scuzz, where three guys are given the harsh truth from two women who went on dates with them. I'll just share a clip of Jonathan running through the game show questions here. It's too detailed for me to explain. Jonah, yes? which one of these guys is least likely to hold the door open for you? Well, actually, Dan let the door close on my hand and I broke three Ooh. Ouch! Dan, you got a chauvinist pig there. Tim? Yeah? Which one of these guys is most likely to check for cavities with his tongue? Oh, huh? Definitely JJ. After he dropped me off, I had to be rushed to the hospital for an emergency tonsillectomy. Ouch! Hey, Shauna, which one of these guys is most likely to say, I'm sick and can't go out on a date, and then go out the very same night with your best friend? Uh... Dan, or JJ, or Bill, all three of them. Well, looks like we got a tie. Congratulations, guys. You're all losers. But then again, everybody's a loser on Scott. <laughs> the host proclaims every man on the game show is a loser except for him and walks off with two female contestants under each arm grinning. Back in the living room, mom celebrates finally landing the Barnswell accounts, claiming all she had to do was be more assertive in the workroom to earn it and shove a staple down her boss's throat too. Sam, Sam worries about how Mark thinks Sam is too strong for him. Mom reassures her daughter, just because you're strong doesn't mean you're not feminine. Sam decides if Mark doesn't like her for who she is, then she'll just be fine without him. Sam walks to a school hallway where Sam helps Mark get his locker door unstuck. Mark thanks her, but Sam suggests that he call her Samantha. Mark then confesses he only came to her locker to ask Sam out to dance. Sam says yes, because it saved her the trouble of ramming a stapler down his throat. Mark leaves, then all her girlfriends and mom flood into the set 
to congratulate her and join in for the standard end of show song and dance. Jennifer steals the spotlight as she sings Make a Change along with Julie, Natalie, Mickey, and Sean. Trisha? What do you enjoy the most and the least about the musical numbers at the end of the show? That it was the end of the show. <laughs> <laughs> right answer. Yeah. We wanted to keep going. Yeah, we just wanted to keep going. Yeah, I was going to say, by the end of the show, we had been on such a beautiful momentum that it just felt so good that we had finally done it in front of everybody and rehearsed it, that we were ready to just keep going, I think. I think me and the boys had moments, you know, some of us who had done Newsies together and had big crowd scenes with singing together. Like, for me, there's a lot of stuff not on camera, like just me Ivan and Mark just kind of hanging in the back, singing our oohs and ahs and laughing with each other. That was, it just, it was a cool, it was a cool vibe to end. It was like ending every week around the campfire at the beach with your bros and ladies. Yeah, it, it definitely felt like a party at That's the end fun. where everyone could join in. Not only the audi the live audience that was there, but the viewers at home as well. Just, you know, like we mentioned again in the 30th anniversary reunion, it's like a safe place where you feel like you're with your family that's inside the TV. Not, not anything beyond that. And you could see that at the end too, we, she pulled back cameras. You could see like the handheld camera guy. You could see the cables running. You could see mm -hmm. the audience. You could see the whole thing. And that's what made it so special. It, it was like a playground. You could see the whole playground mm -hmm. and then your mind could be able to go in with the different cameras you know on that space and that's what made it so much fun is because you you got to see the whole thing exactly and there are many moments where all you guys were having fun with that dynamic of the cameras pulling away too where you know you make some silly faces in front of it or do some dances or you know just fun end of show banter kind of like what they do at saturday night live but way more flexible and around the stage yeah sure. it's definitely a family, family environment you know it's Everyone was a family. I mean, every, from the band to the crew to the cameras to the you know audience members that came back repeatedly. Um, mm -hmm. But it was a you know it was a family. We hung out. We you know can't tell you how many times we. I still to this day I work with camera operators that are that were on that show. Wow. You know. Oh, awesome! Wow. <laughs> yeah, I think the first episode really set the tone too because it was about meeting the every family so it's not like that was never a question of what is this dynamic going to be like for the show or even for the viewers it's you know this is why we're all here this is what we're going to show you if you like it great join us join in with us if not maybe it's not your thing but either way we're going to have a lot of fun and do our best to entertain you and i really love that about the the core nature and philosophy with the show yeah, and I think with Rita, she saw, like, we all had strengths, you know, like, I came in actually as a dancer, and it was because I was fooling around at the audition that Buddy gave me a thought, like, you're kind of funny, and I'm like, I'm having a good time, I'll do my best, and when I read it, I was like, oh my gosh, this is fun, I love being silly, I love being funny, you know, yay, good for me. But I always sing, but I only sing at home. I only sing for my kids. I sing for myself. I write my own music, but I wasn't going to perform it. You know what I mean? Right. Especially when 
standing next to Jennifer Sehe and Crystal and Lisa and Amy, and there's just like bang right out in front of you. But but I did still sing, and that's what made it wonderful. You know, Ivan got to play the kid, Mickey got to play the kid, we got to sing, Crystal got to do the dance bumper. You know, we all felt like, oh, I want to do what you're doing. You know, somebody who didn't feel comfortable with comedy or whatever. Like I would be Mickey. What do you need? I'll help you. You know, this is fun. Like, where are you stuck? Let's make it fun. What do you want to do? And I think that's what we all helped each other. Mm-hmm. We really did. We really looked out for each other. Um, and that's what was beautiful about it. It's so crazy when you ask that question because, and everyone answering their question, answering it, um, I just realized something that it just hit me. It's like we were able to be, especially for me at that time. I was growing and making a lot of mistakes, but like doing that same thing at the end every time was like, but it, it's like, but it's okay because we love you and it's like, it's going to be okay. I mean, you guys would make fun of me all the time. I'd come in, I'd have a cute little album and like, you're not, you're not that hot. And like, it'd be like, Davis and Jody's like calling me in my place. And, <laughs> um, and it was like, and it was, it was just cute because I got to like actually grow and then be like, but they still love me even through all those mistakes. And I feel like that's what, down at the roundhouse, it was like, it was that, like you, you go through these things, you can be, make messes and still be okay. Yeah. People will still love you. Yeah, we even mentioned that in one of our other episodes, um, favorite Nicktoons that we just did, where the lyrics of the roundhouse really embody that spirit, where like everyone's accepted, everyone's included, we're all here to be a family and have fun. And it, it just really makes me realize how well engineered the show was right from the get-go with Benny and Rita working together along with the rest of the crew to really orchestrate everything to just let it be what it wants to be, which is just this beautiful ball of energy that reaches out and touches people in ways that resonates with us decades later. Yeah, and it was tight. You'd be surprised. We barely we barely did pickups. Mm-hmm. Each each person was really tight. Each cast member and that's what I I always <laughs> You know, when I left Roundhouse, my heart was like, I'm like, dang, that's a tight team because I could count on them doing their part. I could count on them knowing their lines. I could count on them bringing their ideas. We could count on that each other. And we rarely did pickups. And when we did, it was hilarious because it'd be like, oh my gosh, we had a mistake. Stop the show. <laughs> but I remember that one night. We were there for a long time. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes it happens and yeah. Mark Davis and I are talking at like 9,000 miles an hour. Sometimes you get tripped up on that and then you're still talking though. So it comes out like, <laughs> and you got to start over. But but we were clean. It was a tight, tight ship, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. Everything always came together. It was great. And say I haven't spoken up too much, but I think that's what, as fans, we loved so much is that we didn't feel like we were watching actors. We felt like we knew each of you. We knew all of your names, and I mean, you even called each other your real names sometimes in the show, mm-hmm. and and it was almost like we were coming to see friends or family, or we're a part of this community, not watching a TV show. And so, I mean, I'm looking at this and I'm like, none of these people know who I am. And yet I feel like I'm seeing old friends for the first time in 30 years. Mm -hmm. And that's absolutely what it feels like is a reunion of old friends. Some of my first crushes, (laughs) hey, Newsy. (laughs) You know, like, (laughs) my girl. (laughs) 
I mean, I, you guys were role models. You were people that we admired, but you were friends. And, and, you know, Brett mentioned like there was a place for everybody. And so it didn't matter if you were completely awkward or, you know, you didn't know where you fit yet, which was totally those years. Um, you fit and, and the end of the show when everybody's up there and, you know, singing the last song and reprising the theme song, you can see the friendships. You can see like the love when you guys have your arms around each other. And, and even as a kid, you wanted to be a part of that. Like you wanted to be in that line somewhere. And that's what made the show special. It didn't feel like a show. It felt like a family. Very much. Very, very much. Well, let's wrap up this episode review, and then uh, we'll kind of segue into other things. Well, wait, we're not we're not going to wrap so, up that scene without talking about the fact that Mickey Mickey's character was asking me out, right? Just making sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you want to elaborate, you can. Written. It was written. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so she wasn't really asking you out? No, she was my little sis. It was a uh, <laughs> uh, love her to death. Forever the little sis. That was my dilemma. <laughs> but it was awesome because that's I, I love I, it's it was so great you know we all had our roles and I got to I got to watch Mickey you know who who I knew in that way and and jump into those roles and start to shine and like you know like Jelaine's talking about I'm this musical theater kid and suddenly surrounded by the best singers in LA and the best dancers in LA and then you know it was like all right half my job was moving sets and then Munoz came along and I was like cool yeah <laughs> and then Munoz came along and it was but it was cool because every once in a while Rita would be like Sid this has got to happen and it was like okay cool oh. and we all we all did our thing to support and it was just amazing so anyway I just want to make sure yeah. Mickey's character asked me out that's all <laughs> <laughs> So wrapping things up with the Annie family, mom enters the scene in dad's motorized chair while dad embarrassingly shuffles in with a white stapler rammed into his mouth. Sam breaks the news to her dad how Mark asked her to the dance, to which dad replies in a muffled tone. That's great, honey. Sam asks mom, what did he say? As mom grins and she said, reprise the theme song and roll the credits. The roundhouse gang assembles center stage to the end credits dance routine to be fun and silly in front of the camera. End of the episode. And uh, I, I'm going to transition over to Trisha for one final question. Uh, and I had made mention at the beginning of the episode that she has quite a, a very special connection with Natalie. And uh, she also had told me before this episode that she has a question that, that she would like to ask you all as well. So I will pass the microphone once more over to Trisha to share with us her connection with Natalie and ask her question. And I tell you, it's still surreal to hear my name in a sentence with Natalie's name because, I mean, she was my favorite. I love you all, but she was who I connected with on the show. And um, for years, like, she was just an autograph that hung on my wall and somebody that I admired so much and had written to and probably poured my heart into some long fan letter. Um, but I also completely Napoleon dynamited her and, like, drew a portrait of her and sent it to her and um, it's like, cringeworthy but I did and I got the most amazing letter back from her and it I mean it was magic for a 13 year old fan to be um, 
have somebody appreciate what you had sent them. Um, so Natalie and I connected on social media not, I don't know, four months ago, five months ago, and I was sharing with her, you know, I've kept your letter all this time, 30 years has gone by and I still cherish it. And um, I mentioned the drawing and she said, wait, was it a pencil drawing, like a portrait? And I said, yeah, she said, I still have it. I kept it all these years. And I was like, no way. And so it took a few weeks, but she searched for it. And all of a sudden I get this, hey, Trisha Baker. And I went, oh shoot, she knows my maiden name. She found, <laughs> she found the letter and the portrait. And um, I tell you, like that is the ultimate fan moment to realize that like somebody who has impacted you so much, like something so small impacted them enough that they kept it for 30 years and so that was just where we connected and I mean to say that she impacted me as a kid she was just somebody I watched on TV and now like I call her friend and you know I'm I'm getting to glean wisdom off of her as a mom and she's just a really good person who if anybody gets the chance to encounter I mean you are winning in that relationship so I feel completely honored that she stuck her neck out there and asked me to be a part of this and, and wanted me, she really wanted to be here. And she did send you all her love. I've been getting texts. She, how's it going? Um, she <laughs> wishes she could be here. And um, she wanted to tell everybody that this was like a brilliant episode and she wished she could have been here to share her thoughts on it. But so because I'm here, because of, you know, representing the fans and a fan letter that I sent. Um, I guess my question would be, what was your most memorable moment with a fan? Whether it be somebody who came to the audience or sent you something or has stopped you in years <laughs> since and told you, you know, how much you impacted them because, I mean, you all impacted me, but you know, there was that one person that out of all of you, I connected with the most. And so fans are gonna be watching and it'd be great for them to re be remembered as well. So best fan moment, go. I got a good recent one. And then I, and I, and I apologize, then I have, to, I have to bounce, but I was at, um, I was at, I was picking up a prescription at uh, Walgreens, at my local Walgreens in Manhattan Beach, California. And uh, I went in, and uh, there was a lovely woman working behind the counter. Uh, she looked like she was probably in her mid thirties, late thirties. Um, and I gave her my ID, put it in and she looked at me kind of funny. <laughs> and she kind of walked away and then she came back and smiled at me. And then she, she, and I was like, something's going on here. Like, this is funky. And she goes, I'm a nineties kid. And I was like, ah. And uh, and I said, okay. And she said, she was like, were you on Roundhouse? And I'm like, how many Ivan Dodinskys do you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and since then we've had a really funny relationship because you know I see her at the, she still works at the Walgreens and when I pull in to refill my prescription, uh, I see her and, and uh, it's just a funny, it's, it's a, that was my, that was my funny, recent fan story you know here we are 30 years later and it was just a funny moment like and i love the term 90s kid i'm a 90s kid i just i'll never forget that so that's my that's my big fan 
and it's like a badge of honor for us. And <laughs> you represented beautifully tonight, both Natalie and the fans. And and I thank you and, and all of those people that watched the show because it was a special show. And, you know, I always talk to Rita and we're like, what are we going to do? How are we going to bring it back? How can we get it back out there? We'll do it again. Not not with us. We're all too old. But uh, Speak for yourself. Maybe maybe But I'm, I'm done. Um, but I'd be happy to direct some episodes. Um, so anyway, I, I talked to Rita recently and, you know, we're always trying to figure out how to bring it back for, for another generation. Cause it's still, as everyone said today on the, on the, on the, on the zoom, on the call, uh, all of those things that we touched on 30 years ago, they're still relevant today. It's all still important today. The message is important today. The family is important today. All of those things, um, that everyone said, but I just, you know, love you all, miss you all. Uh, always a pleasure. Great to see you. And, uh, and, and we, we are a family. I see Mark David all the time. We still, I saw him, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we're still, we're still brothers. And, and, and that's, that's a, that's a long, long relationship. And, uh, thanks for having us. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for being here. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah You're always welcome at the slime tank. It may not be the roundhouse and it may not be as big, <laughs> but at least we can have you here, share some memories and just be a family. Right, Take care, Sid. See you soon. Scott, good to see you. Julian, love, much love. Thank you. I'll see you soon. And uh, we'll we'll open the floor up one more time uh, for because this is our last question for the night. Uh, do any of you have any other fun, uh, memorable fan moments that you can think of? I have one that happened recently. Well, not that long ago, but it was kind of a funny because it was like a double, a double surprise. Um, the work that I did on Avatar, there's a huge group of fans that are really, you know, beautiful with the Navi people. And one young man is so wonderful, and I've been connecting with him and his family. And I had been connecting with him that I was a performer in that film until all of a sudden one day we made an announcement that we were going to do this and i posted it and he went into a shock popsicle he was like wait a second hold up you used to have short blonde oh my god you're from roundhouse that got me more than avatar you guys i was all yeah you know roundhouse <laughs> It was like a double shock. Like it took him a second. Like, how could that be? It's possible, right? But <laughs> it was so cute that he had that like back back moment that double surprised him. So that was that was very sweet. That's fun. I had a I had a little, I have one that's kind of dark. Oh no! Ooh, I like dark. Yeah. Oh my God! So I was like CSI. I lived in New York City for a little while, and I moved back. I know I had to sit. I came back, and I was hanging out at my local watering hole in Westwood. And uh, the guy comes up to me, and goes, "Hey, are you own Roundhouse?" And I'm like, "Yeah." And he proceeded to tell me a story of how he was in Los Angeles because he was running from the five families in New York. And it, it, he got in trouble with somebody. He beat up somebody he shouldn't have beat up. And he had to go into hiding. And he was down in his uncle's basement. And all he did was watch Roundhouse and Nickelodeon. <laughs> and he knew me from Roundhouse. But he was, like, on the lamp. He was, like, on the mattresses. They told me the whole story when, he, when, I, when I saw him at the bar. It was, like, hilarious. I think that was, like, the most wow. memorable thing that I could think of. 
some grown man just like, eh, I don't like the show. It's a lot of energy. It's like, okay. That it does. <laughs> That is, that is that is the the epitome of the greatest thing about being Mark David's friend. There is never a dull answer to anything. That's, <laughs> that's that's so Mark David. I love it. I I've got two. Um, one it was just really random, and then the other one is uh, like that kind of friendship thing. But somewhere in the middle of the run, probably between three and four, uh, because my very first um, performing was in third grade when I played Joseph in Joseph the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat at my Catholic uh, elementary school. I go to the show, 94 probably. My third grade teacher is sitting in front of me at the show, my director, because she's gonna do it again and she's researching and intermission we come out and we start talking to each other and I swear, right when she goes, well, what are you doing? Three little girls come up to me and start freaking out. Roundhouse, roundhouse, roundhouse. And I'm like, hey girls, this is Mrs. Finefield. Talk to her for a minute about performing. Because she's the one who got me started. And so they had that little moment. So that was that's my favorite fan story ever. But um, for me, uh, a lot of the roundhouse people, they know age. Adrian has become a, a friend of mine from roundhouse. Um, and then she moved to LA and we were buddies and have always kept in touch. Um, is neat to grow together and see like a different sense of humor with her. Um, we always just just rag on each other, but it's just it's weird. It's it's in some ways like my my wife is has nieces that are like ten years younger than her, but they have this forever bond. And now we send our daughter to go hang out with them, uh, like up in San Francisco. And there are a lot of fans that were kind of your age that now we're like it's kind of like that you know my goofy uncle vibe or my weird cousin and so you know my life changed and adrian called me and said hey i'm i'm moving so i helped her and her husband find uh, a team because real estate's what i do now and helped them buy their house up in northern california or northern uh -huh. uh, united states up wow. and you know because we've been friends forever now so it was awesome. It was amazing. And I love you, Mark David. I only make fun of you because I, I just always sit behind you in awe and usually laughing so hard my side hurts. <laughs> For listeners at home, he just swat the screen. <laughs> All pshaw. Uh Sean, Mickey, anything for you too? Um I mean I, I wrote back to all of the, the fans. I still actually um when you said that you have the and Natalie had the picture. I mean, I have all the letters and stuff like that. And it's at my mom's house, but I have those. But I do still have uh, this beautiful rosary that someone had sent me, and I still have it to this day in my my place hanging because it was just so it was so beautiful. Um, but I've had uh, recently, well, in the last a few years before the pandemic, uh, people that would come to my class and be like, "Are you Mickey from Roundhouse?" And so that was a funny. I never would think would come around, but um, well, I mean, you haven't aged at all. I was gonna say, you have you look right? exactly the no, same, so thank you. Right? No. <laughs> You're very sweet, <laughs> but no, I mean, it, it, it's 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 weird to like, yeah, have people still remember it all this time, and then watching the show again, it was just like, oh god, I forgot like how great the show was in, in its um, its topics. Sean, any final thoughts? 
I don't got any fan stories. I didn't have any fans. Where are your fans? Leave me alone. Talk to me. Leave me alone. That's why we're we're here. We're talking about your episode. You know, it's uh, it, I've I've had the the good fortune of uh, running into a few folks here and there. And, um, <laughs> you okay, Sid? No. <laughs> you guys are making me laugh. Sid Sid had some fans, and Adrian isn't Adrian from Foster City? Yeah, yeah, age. Okay, so I remember her. I have a picture of her and her friend Shit. Courtney and 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 Adrian, right? Yep. Yep, oh she's God. she's phenomenal. She she moved to LA like sometime after Roundhouse. One of the other shows I was doing was, um, uh, you know the the kind of it was a Nickelodeon Man on the Street show. Yeah, Bing, the sound of something new. David Sedoni here from Nickelodeon's Bing, the sound of something new. And to let you know how committed I am to getting you the lowdown on what kids are into, I'm making the following play. I promise to go anywhere and do anything to find out what's going on in your world. I will try out the newest games and sports. I will sample the latest foods and fashions. I'll hang out with sports superstars and get up close and personal with big time celebrities. Yeah, it's a tough job, but someone's got to do it. Watch Bing, the sound of something new. Next Friday at 7.30, 6.30 Central on Nick. Yep, and then we're like, we do four episodes of something else called You to You. We took you to a movie premiere. Hello. We took over Laura Quinn's house. And we took you to the stars. Well, this time, Nick's going to take an NBA All-Star Weekend for you to use Sportacular. You to you. And go behind the scenes of this year's Super Bowl. Plus, get a taste of the new All-Star Cafe in New York City. You to you. So join me, David Stoney, for a jam new you to you on the road. This Wednesday at 6, 5 Central. On the only network that connects you to you. Nickelodeon. Every, everything I did with Nickelodeon suffered the same thing the Roundhouse did, which was uh, the evergreenness of it, you know, because we were so topical that it couldn't rerun for five years because the jokes were, you know, about Joey Lawrence and suddenly now. Oh, those don't age. <laughs> those don't age at all. He looked exactly the same. Um, <laughs> yeah, so like I went up to Seattle and I met her and her family and it was it was neat. You know, I mean, in Florida, we had those groups of what were the, what, the woo girls that were like, that's it. Woo, woo girls. So, so David, David and I were roommates, if you will. You know, we, we shared the same cast room or whatever, dressing room. Um, and he always had these fans and everything was David. Woo, Sedoni. <laughs> I was going to ask you, what was the word? It's, it's the woo. Yeah, they were. I don't know why they were in. Maybe they were from, they were close to Orlando originally. I don't know, but they, they were all big on it. The, the David Wu thing that, that we would be outside the sound stage and they'd go, you know, David, can you go tell him we're here? They were from Orlando because they were making a big deal about being in LA. I remember them yeah. from Orlando for sure. Yeah. How funny. So yeah, so my, my, my fans were, were their fans and I just happened to catch them all peripherally. But I'm I'm good with that. I'm good with that. You know, uh, everybody was always really good about about uh, when they were fans of the show. Um, it, it was nice to see the kind of quality of the fan base. I, I will say that the fan base is uh, was very unique. It wasn't fake. I didn't get the fake Hollywood fan vibe. Mm -hmm. They genuinely wanted to know the people that were on the show. Uh, and that that was kind of refreshing because we we've all seen uh, shows where or, or or audience members or fans that 
they, they just want to be near somebody and let me just get your autograph. And I never felt like that was a lot of Roundhouse fans. They actually generally cared and wanted to get to know you. So that was a nice thing. All right. Well, uh, I I hate to cut abruptly, but like David, I, I know he's going to take that. Yeah. We'll let we'll let you all go free into Are the world. You, thank, thank you, you all so much for taking the time. Thank you, Tristan. It was amazing meeting you all. Alrighty, so we'll just jump right into our Splat Attack ratings for this episode because even though it feels like Roundhouse 30th Anniversary Part 2, this is still an episode <laughs> review. Electric Boogaloo 2. <laughs> episode 42. <laughs> <sighs> so all, all, all the tongue twisting out of the way. Uh, Trisha, what do you give this episode rating on the Splat Attack scale? Well, I kind of already said, like, this was one of my favorite episodes as a kid. Um, but I also know that after rewatching it, what an important topic it really is. And um, for me, some of my favorite cast members weren't like highlighted in this episode. So mm -hmm. watching it as a kid, it just wasn't one that was a favorite. Um, so I kind of went, you know, middle of the road and I gave it a B, um, but that's because there were some great takeaways like Kurt and Rod Stewart. And um, I loved Sean's rants. And um, so I give it a B. Sounds good. Splash Factory it is. Uh, I'm actually going to echo this, those sentiments. Um, I really love the progressive handling of this topic. You know, I didn't see any other kids uh, shows aimed at kids in the early 90s, you know, dealing with more mature subject matter. And I, I give them, you know, kudos for even attempting it um, just so that it could be out there for people to think about. Uh, I one thing I do have to mention mention is that I would have rated this higher if it weren't for the fact that uh, it felt like there was a few too many fake ads in TV like segments in this. I love them, don't get me wrong, but I, I definitely I had to watch this like three different times, and I felt like an emotional whiplash every time after it was over. Like, oh, okay, what happened? I, I I need a break. What's going on? What was that? What was that? Um, so I think I'm going to give it a Splash Factory, which is a B as well, just because it was just a lot for me personally to take in. Uh, but I do want to mention that the, the Wuss Perfume sketch, the Fry Willy, and the Make That Chain song were personal highlights for me. And I have a, a very different rating from the two of you. Uh, in in not, not in a negative way. I really, really loved this episode. Uh, I was surprised at how much I loved this episode. Uh, whenever you are doing a topical episode on, on any sitcom or television show, it can either make or break the episode just because of the subject matter. And Roundhouse is such breakneck pace as it is anyway with its comedy, with its uh, dance, with its music. And to know that going into this episode, because I, I didn't see this episode when I was a kid. I saw it as an adult. And of course, whenever I'm clicking on Roundhouse, feminism, I know what I'm watching the moment I get into it. And... It's one of those, oh my gosh, okay, brace yourself, because you know Roundhouse punches, and they constantly punch, and, and they punch on the extremes uh, uh, on both directions, and this could either be really good or be really, really cringy. Uh, hello, Captain Planet, talking about gang violence. It's really cringy. Uh, <laughs> so, because yeah, that, that really happened. So, I, I, I went in cautious 
but I was I was rolling. Uh, I was laughing at and, and uh, very opposite of of uh, Brett's response. I couldn't get enough of the of the fake ads and the commercials and the and the TVs. Uh, I thought they were hysterical, but that's also me because I'm very pop culture centric, and uh, I, I'm always po- putting pop culture references in everything. So the, it's definitely speaking my language. But it took what I liked so much about Roundhouse and then also took a very topical discussion like we had said earlier in the episode is still prevalent today and still needs to be talked about today and we still need to keep this as part of the conversation and it it made fun of the bigotry it made fun of the uh, extremism it, ma- it made fun of all that and everything in between and even though it's quote unquote making fun of it it's still bringing it up because this really still happens uh, even more so than uh, uh, the extreme for the show and um, I really it, it it exceeded my expectations for what I thought they could do uh, so I actually put this in the S category splatterific very nice well, with that being said, we're actually not going to do a segment today because this was uh, a very engaging episode review. And uh, just because we are talking, this episode of Roundhouse was a very topical discussion, and we did mention this in our Season 3 overview uh, later this month, because this episode is going to be coming out in March. Later at the end of the month, we are going to be doing a live Q&A with Jennifer Sehe, who couldn't be here for this, but uh, she is going to be there uh, live to answer your questions. She is going to talk about Roundhouse. She is going to talk about being the uh, singing voice for Sailor Moon. But more than anything, she also really wants to address mental health awareness, something that's very, very important to her. Uh, So come out for that. We'll make some more announcements as the time comes up. What are some topics you appreciated Roundhouse addressing on their show back in the 90s? That is our closing question. Write to us via email at splatattack2021 at gmail.com. DM us on Instagram at splatattackpodcast. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at splatattackpodcast. Or just interact with us wherever you feel necessary. We're, we're wherever you can find us on social media of all sorts. Mostly Instagram and YouTube, but also Facebook, TikTok, Twitter here and there, Patreon, of course. You know, that kind of thing. So... With that being said, tune in next time, Slimesters, when we grab our lucky fish bones and make a sacrifice to a pig carcass, when we pray for some good luck during our St. Patrick's Day Versus episode, featuring Ah Real Monsters versus Ren and Stimpy, Oh Lucky Monster versus Superstitious Stimpy. This is a treat for many of our Slimesters because, until now, both Nicktoons have had very little coverage on our show, save for episodes B6 and B14 on Patreon, and episodes 1 and 11 on our main timeline. Until then, Alex, will you drain the slime tank for us, please? I gotta take some cramper in because I ate too many feminims. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> aye, aye, go captain. I'll heat up your stay hungry man for dinner once you get back. Yeah. Ooh, splat you later. I think I'm gonna hurl. <laughs> Fish it. Ooh. S- say this with me. Reprise the theme song and roll, and roll the credits. The credits. song and roll the credits. <laughs> I reckon it's time for me to go. I'm glad that's over. Now for a peaceful night's sleep. Well, that does it for now. Yeah, we gotta catch a train. Since I'm going home, you can't my arts and crafts project. It's a tweezer holder. Alright, guys. Let's go for it.
soon. Thanks for watching. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm women's rights activist, Gloria Wyman, and I've had the same tired hairstyle since 1972. If your man treats you like a heap of compost, try the refreshing beverage for thirsty feminists. Equality. Equality is made from a blend of natural herbs and spices, plus real testosterone extracted from the biceps of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Mmm, I never knew Schwarzenegger could taste this good. Just one glass of equality, and you'll grow strength. You'll grow confidence. You'll grow chest hair.